As mentioned, our text this morning is 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9. So I'll read them again with you. There it is written, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So far, the word of the Lord. After... The sermon will also sing of Psalm 66, Census 4, 5, and 6, which speak not of the testing of gold, but of the testing of silver, the same context as our text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we have these striking paradoxes, these apparent contradictions that we find in Scripture, these paradoxes that cause us to To pause and think. And one example would perhaps be Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, where he describes his ministries and says that he is treated as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He's writing to the Corinthians and he tells the Corinthians that they could look at his life, at Paul's life, and see that he had to endure a lot of troubles, a lot of trials and suffering. But was that the thing that they had to recognize or notice in Paul's ministry? No. Paul says, yes, there are sufferings and there are trials and there is much sorrow. But I am always rejoicing. And wasn't it this the same Paul who wrote to the Philippians saying, rejoice always. I say again, rejoice And isn't this the same kind of contradiction or paradox that we find in our text this morning that Peter writes? I mean, he's writing a letter to Christians who are being persecuted, who are suffering, who are grieving. Can he still encourage them to praise and worship and to rejoice in their faith in God? Yes. Yes, even though they are now grieved, he continues to encourage them to rejoice And he even encourages, or he even acknowledges, you rejoice in this, even though you are grieved. But looking at this, then the question is, can can we suffer through trials and still have joy at the same time? Or is it either one or the other? And if we want to do both, how do we do that? How does Peter encourage Christians to to do both? Well, Peter encourages us and these Christians in this letter with a couple of reasons. And our text shows that our, with our hope in Christ, we can endure or we can rejoice while enduring trials because, and there's three reasons, first of all, that our trials are temporary, second, that trials refine our faith, and last, the hope of faith shall not deceive us. 
The first point, why, why can we rejoice even during trials? And the first thing that, he meant, that Peter mentions is that trials are temporary. And our text this morning comes right after a couple of verses in which Peter has just shown, has just how revealed how great God's mercy is for Christians. We read the verses 3 through 5, and Peter just basically unpacks the mercy of God. And he just shows them how much we as Christians have. He shows them that we have been born again, that we have a new life. He shows us that we have a living hope, that we don't go through life without hope or without faith or without any hope for the future, but that we have hope because we have a new life, an eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he shows us that we have an inheritance, an awesome inheritance that we can't even fathom or imagine how great it would be. And he also shows us that God shields us, that, he wa- that, or that God guards us or shields us as we go on our way to this inheritance. And he just shows us, the Lord has given us such great blessings. How can we but praise and rejoice in the Lord? Because he has been good to us. And Peter says in verse 6, I know that you rejoice in these things. And this joy is natural. But at the same time, you might be, you might be grieved. And there might be a number of reasons why this joy might be stifled or suppressed. For verse 6 goes on to mention, though now, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And their lives of these Christians are not all joy. That where they have blessings and an inheritance, trials are also part of their life. And the letter goes on to mention persecution a number of times. If you read the letter of 1 Peter, persecution is mentioned again and again. And it's likely that this is one of the things that Peter is thinking of when he mentions various trials. Yet Peter doesn't mention just trials. He says various trials. And so this leads us to think of the many kinds of trials that arise in a Christian life. And persecution is certainly one of them, but is not the only one. So even though Peter probably has persecution on the mind and he's, focused, and he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted, he doesn't just mention persecution. He mentions various trials. And that means we can also think of the various trials we might endure in our lives. And I mean, persecution might be one of them, but we can think of other forms of suffering. Suffering that causes us grief and can test our faith. And I mean, diseases and illnesses that break down our bodies would certainly be one of those trials. Depression and other mental struggles is another thing that we can think of. Or perhaps prayers that go unheard. Losing our jobs or struggling financially. In all these things, we will likely be grieved and not readily readily be rejoicing. However, the Christians addressed in this letter, they rejoice and they grieve at the same time. They grieve because of the trials that have come, have come upon them, and they rejoice because they know the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And this, of course, raises questions. The blessings of being... We, we see these blessings that we have as being the people of God, that we are born again and that we are shielded by God's power. And that these blessings are so great... 
So why then do we as Christians still suffer trials in this life? And how should we deal with these trials? And what are these reasons to rejoice? And then in what continues, the Holy Spirit, through the writing of Peter, shows us why these trials come upon us and why there are still reasons to rejoice. And the first of on follows right after in verse 6, where Peter writes, first, first of all, he writes to qualify the various trials that these Christians are suffering. They, these trials have to be put in the right perspective. And first of all, these trials are qualified by now for a little while, in verse 6. And two things stand out in this little phrase. That the sufferings and trials are now, as opposed to the future we have with the Lord. These trials are part of our lives on this earth, but will be done away with in the future, on the new earth, in the new heaven. And the second matter that stands out is that these trials are considered to be only for a little while. Now don't think that Peter here is promising that these trials or these persecutions would be soon over, that they would, all, they would be gone by tomorrow. No. Persecution and trials will remain part of this life. And it's a good chance that these Christians who are suffering persecution had to suffer for many more years. And some of us might have trials that we know will remain with us for the rest of our lives. But the timeline here is not one that looks, is used here as one that looks ahead. Not only to this life, but to the eternal life. That life here on earth is short. It's only a little while when compared to eternity that lasts forever. And when put in that perspective, you can see that the comparison is almost unfair. A little while in this temporary life compared to an eternal and unfading inheritance on the other hand. How can you compare the two? And then Peter adds a second qualifier. And he adds the phrase, if need be. And the phrase might seem a little bit odd in the context. I mean, the main question is, where should we put the emphasis in these words? If need be. If we stress the if, it might seem that trials might or might not happen to us in this life, depending on the lives that we live. As if hypothetically speaking, We might suffer, we might not, just depending on the situation. This is not the kind of doubt that Peter seems to write about in the rest of his letter. Because in the rest of Peter's letter, suffering and trials are almost a guarantee. So perhaps it's better to put the stress or the emphasis on the need be. In that case, the main message is that these trials are not up to chance. They're not up to fate. It's not that we just suffer when we are at the wrong time or at the wrong place at the wrong time or that we're just unlucky. No. If need be means that all of these things, all of these trials and suffering happen to us according to God's will. He's behind all this. And the letter repeats this also later near the end where it says in 1 Peter 4 verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And there the emphasis on according to God's will. God is in control even during these trials. 
And they only come to us because he thinks they are necessary for us. And so looking at verse 6, we can say that Peter still continues this theme of rejoicing and praising God for what he has done for us. Because he knows the, the Christians that he's writing to, they rejoice also. The tone has been set in the first couple of verses. But in the verses we are dealing with this morning, there is no denial that in fact that much in this life can cause us to grieve. And the readers of this letter, they both rejoice and they grieve. And we might have the tendency to think that it's either one or the other. But the one does not cancel out the other, Peter says. Suffering and trials will cause us grief, and they do, because they're not good in and of themselves. Persecution, illnesses, and death were never meant to be part of life as God intended it or as He created it. And therefore, we do not have to make them something that they're not by trying to rejoice when we feel like grieving or that we try to ignore them as if they don't happen to us. But we do qualify our grief and these trials by putting them in the right perspective, as Peter shows us. That the joy is still there in the fact that we have hope. And that the hope is that our suffering is only for a little while and not for eternity. And that these trials, though painful, are to be used in God's plan or according to God's will. Now that brings us to our second point, point, that trials refine our faith. Because if God then writes also that these plans or these trials are according to His will, we can ask, why does God send us these trials? Could it be that these trials have a purpose somehow in God's plan? And that is the point that is made, up, made in the following verse. Trials are according to the will of God because they will eventually result or be found in praise, glory, and honor. And the way in which this happens is similar to the refining of gold, Peter writes. It says that it says here in the text that they have been grieved now by various trials that, in verse 7, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can wonder, why is Peter making this comparison between our tested faith and trials and gold, or tested gold? What does this mean? And our text at least teaches us two things, or a number of things, that we should at least draw from this passage. And we have to recognize that the main point of this comparison is is that tested faith is much more valuable than tested gold. It says that gold, even though it is tested by fire, will eventually perish, or it will eventually fade. However, tested faith will not perish. It will remain and even result in glory, praise, and honor at the revelation of Christ. The point is then, is if you want to hold, to something that is, hold on to something that is really valuable in this life, then hold on to faith. Well, we can think of instances in the world today or perhaps people around us where people hold on to money or possessions, wealth, as if that's, that's the one thing that is worthwhile in this world. And they might even put their hope in it, hoping that this will keep them alive or that it will give them guarantees in the future. 
And they can invest in material things in this world. But Peter reminds us that that can all be taken away. And that eventually it will also all fade. As all of it, even all our wealth will be left behind at the end of our lives. Its value is only for here and now. Whereas faith has value for eternity. And cannot be taken away from you. And second, Peter uses this comparison because fire is used to test gold. And just as fire doesn't destroy the gold, but refines it, so also trials will refine faith. It will strengthen it and not destroy it. When we go through trials, it will most likely almost always seem as if these trials want to destroy or or shatter our faith. That they want to break us down. That they make us low. It might seem that they want to crush us, or it might seem that these trials are just a hurdle that we will never be able to cross. But that's not what fire does to gold. When gold goes through fire, the gold remains and will be tested and purified. And the idea is that gold that is precious, that is real, or the idea is that gold is precious, but only the real, refined gold is precious. The gold that comes from the mines, the ore that, we, that is dug there, is not like the gold that we have perhaps on our finger or any other kind of jewelry. Because gold ore, as it comes from the mine, will still have a lot of other materials that are mixed with it. It will still have a lot of impurities. So it needs to be melted and purified. Otherwise, it's not valuable or useful for anything else. It needs to be tested by fire so that the real precious gold remains. And that the gold can be used for all kinds of things that are beautiful. And so faith is also tested by trials so that its genuineness is shown. So that it is real and precious. And all that is not part of faith, all the impurities, that they may be taken away because they won't make it through the trial. And when we think of this kind of testing by trials, we can think of a lot of perhaps Old Testament examples of this. We just have to think of the kind of trials that Old Testament saints had to live through. We can think of, for example, of the testing of Abraham, who had to sacrifice Isaac. I mean, here we have Abraham, who has his one son, a promise given to him by God, and he has to sacrifice it. And this was his only son, the one that he had most likely attached all his hope to, his one guarantee for the future. And he had to show that he wasn't holding on to this, but that he was holding on to his faith. Abraham had to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, to show that the, so that the genuineness of his faith might be shown to the Lord, but also to us. So that when we also look at Abraham, we see the genuineness of his faith. That it, faith, Abraham obeyed in faith and was ready to offer sacrifice to the, Isaac to the Lord. His faith was shown to be true and precious. And this testing also has a final goal, as Peter mentions. In the end, 
Our passage says that the genuineness of our faith will be found or will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we know that gold, once it is purified, is more valuable and worthy of praise. But gold ore, as it has been mined, or unrefined faith, can't purify itself. Work needs to be done by someone. Gold, in in the case, is refined by a craftsman who uses the right who uses fire, but also the right temperatures, crucibles, and molds to make this gold ore into something valuable and something beautiful. Fine gold is the work of a craftsman. And so when genuine faith, or when the genuineness of faith is shown, there will be praise, honor, and glory for the craftsman, for our God. For He's the one who gives us faith, And he also refines our faith through trials according to his purpose. Because he's the one that burns away all that which does not belong to faith and that which is not valuable so that the valuableness parts remain. And if we we perhaps wonder if God could really do this, if he could use trials and suffering to bring glory, praise, and honor In the end, we just have to look at the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to see that God even did that in His life. That this pattern of going through suffering and trials to praise, honor, and glory is most clearly revealed in the life of Christ. For Christ was obedient to His Father throughout His life. Throughout His life, He followed whatever His... He did whatever His Father told Him to. He lived according to God's law. And he did so that his father might receive praise, honor, and glory through his faithful obedience. Because he remained faithful to the plan of his father throughout his life. And most of us know what that entailed for Christ. When we look at Christ's life, and we see that the Lord had planned for him that his son would suffer throughout his life from beginning to end. That he would suffer injustice, abandonment, cruel and painful blows at his trial and eventually even be crucified. And that's not to mention even the, the wrath of God that is poured out through him, onto him, especially at the cross. And yet Christ remained obedient to the Father throughout his whole life. That took faith. That Christ also walked by faith. Because looking at the plan of salvation from our perspective after the fact, we see that indeed we look at the cross and we see the victory of the cross over sin and evil. But when Christ went to the cross, the victory was not there. In fact, the circumstances made it seem that victory was, was far away. For here, God's enemies seemed to be in control and darkness was over the land. It seemed that the victory was far off. And therefore, Christ also had to have faith in his Father's plan as he also prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not mine will, but what you will. And in the end, we see also that Christ continuing to do his Father's will, that his life resulted in praise and glory and honor for God who saved his people through his Son on the cross. That his plan of redemption is the way to salvation for all people. Also for us. 
And that his, in turn, his son, Jesus Christ, was then also raised and given all power and authority. That he received life, glory, and praise from his father because he was faithful. And so we see that the will of the Father is good, especially in the life of Christ. And we can also, in faith, see that for our own lives. Because God is the craftsman who knows how to refine faith. And sometimes this might include trials according to His will. And these trials are part of His plan. And we, not, we might not be able to see or explain how these things happen or, or how they have a purpose. But we know that the craftsman is at work. And we most likely don't see or understand it while we are in these trials or while we are suffering. And we might not have this perspective. And we might not even have this perspective after the fact or even at any time in our life on this earth. But that is why we need faith in the plan of our Lord. We have to have faith that He is the craftsman making sure that these trials do have a purpose, that he will be sure that this ore will become refined gold. Because this gold is precious in his sight and will result in praise and glory and honor. And so let us then also ourselves look at our faith as something that is precious and that is being refined and something that is valuable because it is by, in faith that we see that when we go through life and that we, when we face trials, that we see that it is not without purpose. And it is in faith that we walk with the Lord through trials and suffering. And that this faith cannot be taken away. And that we walk in faith to obtain the outcome or goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That we have this end goal in mind. Because that is our hope. And in faith we know that the hope of faith shall not deceive us, even if the circumstances seem otherwise. And this brings us to our third point. For there is yet one other reason why we can rejoice even though we face trials. And the last verses of our text shows us that we walk by faith And not by sight, or not by what we see. If we read the verses 8 through 9, it's written again, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And it's clear, we don't focus on the things that we see with our eyes, but on the things that we believe. And the point here, made here by Peter, I think applies to all of us. None of us have actually seen Christ on this earth. We saw him with our own eyes. It's not like that any one of us could stand up and say, yes, we have seen him yesterday or the day before. And yet, our faith is not about what we see with our eyes. For faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. We haven't seen Jesus Christ, and yet we are sure that He is our Savior. And so we gather here again this morning to praise Him and to worship Him. Our faith makes us certain of this. And because we have faith, we know that what we see around us in this world 
is not all that ex- actually exists. That we know that God, though we have not seen Him, exists. That angels and spiritual beings exist. And that is why, again, another reason why faith is more precious than gold. And in Hebrews 11, this idea is repeated again and again. And you can just think of, again, the saints of the Old Testament are there, used there as examples over and over. It starts, or it mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they all followed the Lord in faith. They had the promises of God that He would give them the land of Canaan. But did they ever see this becoming their home? No. They were always foreigners, always living in tents, and always going around, moving around, because no place was really their home. And their whole life, they are an example of what it means to walk by faith, believing the promise of God. And yet, they walked by faith. So until these promises were fulfilled, they continued to listen to the Lord and to follow Him wherever He led them. Wherever He sent them, through trials, deserts, or led far away from their homes, they went in faith, trusting that God would fulfill His promise to them. They went where the Lord led them, not because that seemed to be the best way, or because that seemed the most attractive way, but because they walked in the hope of faith, knowing that the Lord was leading them to something better. And by faith, they went, looking not at the trials that were ahead of them, but looking ahead at the promise of God. And we can have the same challenge today. Perhaps it is when we are in trials, or perhaps it is in every day of our life, that we are challenged again to walk by faith and not by sight. We can wonder, what do we see in our own lives and in the world around us? Do we just focus on what our eyes can see? Or do we walk in faith? Do we walk in faith by focusing on the promises of God? Do we, do we make our daily decisions based on the fact that we are the people of God? Do we believe what we can see or what the world teaches us, that we are human beings, that we are perhaps products of chance, products of evolution, that There is no God or that no one else can claim a higher authority than you yourselves? Or do we walk in faith knowing that we have been baptized? That it means that we are children of God and that we have promises. That God is our Father. That our sins have been forgiven and that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Are we defined by these promises that the Lord gives us? Or by what the world says around us and what we perhaps can see every day? Or are you defined by the sin that you struggle with? The sin that is real and that is there almost every day? Or are you defined by the promise of God that indeed all those sins have been forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ? Faith looks at God's promises and says these things are real regardless of what happens in the world or in our lives. Because God has given us these promises and we hold on to them by faith. We believe His Word. And because we walk by faith and believe God's word, we can still rejoice whatever happens. Because God is leading us to an inheritance that is is cause for rejoicing. And that we have a hope of salvation 
the hope of salvation of our souls. And at the same time, we already right now have a hope. That means that we are already right now are born again and that already have a foretaste of this life and of this joy that cannot be taken away. And when Peter mentions this joy, he, he describes it as a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. And this is no ordinary joy or the kind of joy that we say or think of when we have a good time. It, is a, it has the qualities of a, of a heavenly joy, a God-given joy. And this is the joy that is a foretaste of the glory that is to come. And it's interesting, of course, that this, this joy is it's called inexpressible. You cannot describe it in words. I mean, what kind of joy is that if you can't describe it? And yet, I, I imagine that many of us do know what kind of joy or peace Peter is talking about, even though he doesn't describe it or calls it just inexpressible. It's a, it's a joy that makes us speechless or perhaps at a loss of words and holds on to God's promises. It's exactly that kind of joy or peace or contentment in the Lord or that the Lord gives us in these difficult circumstances. I mean, for those walking by or for those that only walk by what they can see, it would not make sense to be joyful or at peace when someone who is dear to us is about to go into the operation room. Or it doesn't make sense to be singing God's praises when the end of life is all near. But for those who walk by faith, there are both these trials and these real situations of grief. And there is the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that this joy is already now ours and that the Lord can give us peace and contentment even in these difficult circumstances. It's a joy that is not affected by the circumstances or by the things that we can see with our eyes but it is rooted in something that is constant in our faith in what God has promised. And that is why Peter also calls it a a joy that is filled with glory. And the question then is, do we walk by faith or do we walk by what we see? And of course, we naturally walk by what we can see or we walk by sight. And we do so every day. We pay attention to the things that we can see. Because those things we know are real. We see and encounter real suffering, real trials, and real grief. But is this all that we see and all that is real? Or are God's promises just as real in faith? What is this life and our lives all about? Is it all about what we can see with our eyes, what we experience during the day, or also about what we can see by faith. What we see, that it is a journey towards a heavenly destination, a journey or a pilgrimage with our God. And so we see that those who walk by faith can rejoice even though they are experiencing, experiencing trials. And these, these trials are not going to last, Peter says. It is only a way to our final destination. And the trials we face on the way will, will, by God's grace, also refine our faith so that it is precious and that they also will be, our faith will be true and pure in the end. 
And these trials draw us closer to God, seeking Him more and more in faith as we follow Christ. And as we go through this life, we realize that it's not about all that we see, but it is what we see. It's about what we see in faith. Trials will then be understood to be the tools that God uses to refine our faith and to help us also in our unbelief. And so that it is also then a trial or a tool so that we believe God's promises even though they lead us through deserts and perhaps trials. All because we believe that God's promises are true. And the hope of faith therefore will not deceive us. So believe in Jesus Christ, our hope and our inheritance. Love Him, even though you do not see Him. And rejoice in Him, also amid the trials of life. Amen. Let us then also sing from Psalm 66, stanzas 4, 5, and 6.